At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The High Wire Act walked by Washington and the Federal Reserve as inflation remains stubbornly high. Former SEC chair Jay Clayton. People don't pay inflation, they pay prices. And we should actually start talking in terms of prices. Plus, President Biden says U.S. forces would defend Taiwan from a Chinese invasion. The tricky geopolitics at stake. China's going to take Taiwan. The question is, when do they do it? And later, China's relationship with Russia. China matters. It's the big economy here. Russia was trying to ride on the coattails on this. And I think this is China saying, you are causing problems. We're joined by Michelle Caruso Cabrera, former CNBC journalist. This is historically an extremely tough relationship. They have never trusted each other. Those stories and much more. It's Monday, September 19th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We're going to turn to some geopolitical news this morning. President Biden making some comments about Taiwan during a 60 Minutes interview that aired last night, grabbing a lot of attention this morning. Here's what he said. We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago. And that there's a one China policy and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving. We're not encouraging them being independent. We're not led. That's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. The White House then later clarifying the remarks saying U.S. policy towards Taiwan has not changed. The United States has had what's called a policy of strategic ambiguity, not saying whether it would interfere in a conflict between China and Taiwan. But President Biden has now made these type of comments now several times. It's four times. And, then, said it, and then the White and House, then the White House has come back. out with some kind of other statement to sort of say, well, actually, nothing's really changed. It didn't I sound very know. ambiguous. I don't know. I don't think any, I, I, I'm hoping nothing is happening right now. I'm hoping so, too. I just don't understand why he keeps saying that and it keeps getting walked back. And I think the Chinese are angry are, about are it, Are you too. a fan of, of Joseph Heller? Did, did you read Catch-22, the great, great book? I mean... This is so perfect for, for government. So I, we have a policy called ambiguity. We, it's like you, you can't, it, there's, it's like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. You can't both measure something and, and decide it, where it is at, at the same time. I mean, it's, it's, there's no way to discuss this, Andrew. It's sort of like, a, it's beyond our comprehension, what it it's really because means. because we purposely created something that's not supposed to have a straight answer. Exactly. That's and if you're catch, in the business of trying to get straight answers, for, it's a problem. That's perfect for the government, perfect apparently in, in Heller's view for the military, where there was, it was, um, I think to get out of service, you needed to prove that you were crazy. That you were crazy. But, a crazy but person in, would never in think trying to crazy. prove you were crazy, right. Right. it means you're not crazy right. to, to get out, so you can't it's get mash, out. It's MASH, right? And major, 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 major. It's kind of like MASH, MASH was probably a lot like Catch-22, but 
It just reminds me of that. But the president said there was no ambiguity in saying we, I think Scott Pelley then said, we will send American men and women to right. defend Taiwan. He said, yes. And then immediately afterwards, they go, no, <laughs> nothing has changed from our, so it's just all gobbledygook. Right? To try to discuss it is, is like trying to discuss uh, the sound of one but hand clapping. Question, but the real question for our purposes is economic risk. To the degree True. that you believe True. that this is and you're probably right. We probably going, going to be something that you're not ready to send American men and women to Taiwan. I don't think ultimately we will, but I also don't think ultimately that this is going to happen right now. I think this is a 26, a 26 or 28 situation, and my hope is that we've gotten enough of our chip making capabilities here in the United States. And by the way, I think there's going to be a point, and this is the. I think there'll be a point at which it'll actually be easier for both sides to walk away. I mean, when I say both sides, for the U.S. to, to say, okay, I'm not going to have... China? And no, and China, China will be able to do it, and, but know that there won't be a confrontation. You mean take Taiwan? That's yes. Oh, I always think they're going to... No, China's going to take Taiwan. 100% China will take Taiwan. The question is, when do they do it? And when do they do it at a point, not when we are, are weak, but when we just when we feel like strategically we've gotten to the place where we're okay. Right now, we actually would have a problem. Four years, five years from now, let's hope we don't so have a problem. So this would become an issue where we don't care about democracy or human rights, it's just we care about chips. We, sadly, sadly, we've learned that in this crazy world, it appears when it comes to Saudi, when it comes to, you name the country, we've decided that it's about national but security this, and about everything else. We have not been the greatest it, when it, it comes to It is a other pretty issues. good, technique, though. I mean, you're married. Uh, we're all married. And there are times where I have invoked strategic ambiguity. It's just that there are many, many instances where you can seize on, on this because it's very powerful. Because the secret to a good marriage is, is poor hearing. <laughs> well, that's what they said. That's what they, they looked at across all cultures, across all, and that's the one thing that, that you could see. Successful marriages, For successful marriages is marriage. a progressive loss of hearing in, in both the, the husband and the wife. Dozens of videos from the Rockstar uh, Games' Grand Theft Auto 6 were leaked online over the weekend. The hacker taking credit claims to also be behind Uber's recent data breach. The latest game in the franchise is still under development and said to be years uh, from being released. The videos were quickly posted online. Many were removed after Rockstar owner Take-Two Interactive uh, filed copyright infringement claims. And we wonder why we have a problem in society. I think it was an 18-year-old who... Grand Theft Auto 6. If you didn't learn how to steal a car and then drive around like a maniac and elude police and... It's worse than that. My 13-year-old cousin showed You hire hookers to, to distract the police. I mean, it, well, it, you it, hire hookers, your health line goes up, then you run them over and you get your money back. I saw that from my 13-year-old cousin about 15 years ago, which is why we don't play it in our house. Don't you know it? I agree with you. I think the video game situation is what... Number six. Leading. Grand Theft Auto number six. Society. How do you get the... It's been a while since they had... Go tell, go tell, go tell that to our friends Strauss Zelnick or Bobby Kotick, and they'll, they'll try to tell you, you know, I'm just, that there's studies and this and that, but it, I, I'm, just I'm on the other side of it. Strategically ambiguous again. I, I'm not sure that... Uh, You're not sure? Uh, no, I'm not I'm sure. Pretty that, sure I'm not sure. Any, I'm pretty confident. You think I'm a kid who plays confident. Grand Theft Auto 6 goes and steals a car? I don't think that really happens. No, but I think you think about a lot of things that are happening in our society. No, yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for them, but I would add that 
right. into the stew of, of, of things Maybe. that have gotten us. The general decline. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Inflation Nation, we have the data and the receipts to prove it, but there's still some good news. Former SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. As far as major economies in the world, the U.S. is the best positioned to deal with the dislocations we have. You know, in energy, in food, in logistics, even in inflation. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, one. His mic, Q. Welcome back um, to Squawk Box. I don't think we can say that often, en- enough. Uh, often enough. Because I don't think, do we, do we thank viewers enough for, for sticking with us and being with no, us? No, because we do appreciate their loyalty. Yes, yes. President Biden vowing to get control of high U.S. inflation. The president appearing on 60 Minutes last night and. Here's what he had to say. Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month is just a, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it is good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you're, maybe I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It's, it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that. But guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely, it's been basically even. Joining us right now is Jay Clayton. He's the former SEC chairman, also a CNBC contributor. Jay, you watched 60 Minutes last night. Your reaction to uh, what President Biden had to say? Well, look, on the one hand, he's right in that focusing on inflation is probably one of the most key things for Main Street America. Um, But people don't pay inflation. They pay prices. And we should actually start talking in terms of prices. Uh, if you look at, let's just use simple numbers. If you look at inflation being 10% over one year, going from paying 100 to paying 110, if it comes down to 5% the next year, year on year, you're still paying 115 and change. Prices are still going up. People are focused on prices. So look, some, some leading indicators on this or some important indicators on this. Average household spending is going up you know, four to $500 a month. That's roughly five to $6,000 a year. That hurts. Mortgages, half a million dollar mortgage is going up by $1,000, $1,000 a month. That's going to have an impact on prices. I think we should, when we communicate to the American public about economics, we should go with things they understand, like prices as well as inflation. So what would you say, I'm going to put your political hat back on. If this was the situation that you found yourself in, 
What would you say? What would you say to the American public? I would say, look, a very positive thing. As far as major economies in the world, the U.S. is the best positioned to deal with the dislocations we have. You know, in energy, in food, in logistics, even in inflation, we are the best positioned to deal with it. Tell people that. That's, that's good news. The bad news is each one of those is substantially dislocated right now. And we're seeing that play itself out in asset prices and financial instruments. We're, we're, wait, we're waiting to hear what the Fed is going to say. And in terms of what, what, what do you think the Fed is going to say? What do you think they should say? The two-year note, by the way, we're getting close to 4% here. Yeah. Well, look, look what, what Jay Powell, Chairman Powell, said in his last speech was actually important. He was communicating with the American people saying, look, in runaway inflation, we know from history that that's really bad. You can't plan. You can't plan at the household. You can't plan at the business. Um, everybody pulls back. Okay. So we need to get it under control. But he also said that the causes of inflation that we are facing are not just monetary policy. There's a lot else going on, which to him means you're going to feel some pain. I thought it was a very responsible statement that, yes, we're going to play our role to get inflation under control. But you have to understand that it's not, it's not a surgical instrument. Interest rates are not a surgical instrument. They're a blunt instrument. And you're going to be, feel play, pain in a bunch of places. Jay, just um, part of the, the cure adds to the pain, too, though. You talked about a $500,000 mortgage going up by $1,000 a month. That's because of higher interest rates. That's because of exactly what the Fed is doing. So, you know, that, that's kind of difficult to explain to people, too. We're, we're helping you by hurting you. Well, you're, you're, you're actually showing how it's not a surgical instrument. Everybody who already has a mortgage and already has a home, their payments aren't changing. It's the people who are new entrants to the market or people who have floating rates. It's, this, this is the kind of thing that makes this so difficult. But that also means that people aren't going to move. It makes it much more expensive to move, which means you know the builders aren't building. They've cut back. There's not going to be new homes that are coming up because people are moving and moving into different places. Well, you guys had Barry Sternlich on. And I, I always like listening to him. Look at the housing market. You've caused a crash of unprecedented proportions in the housing market. The economy is breaking hard. You're going to have a major crash in the housing market, and housing prices are going down. You are seeing housing prices correct. They've already took $7 trillion of wealth out of the stock market. What he was saying, in, in essence, is look, the demand destruction is not uniform. It's going, to, it's going to be acute in some spaces, and we really need to watch whether the acute demand destruction is going to have ripple effects. He's, already, he's arguing the demand destruction is already here. You're, you're on the board of Apollo. Do you guys see demand destruction across your businesses? Look, I think if, if, I think if everybody knew exactly what all the ripple effects were going to be, you know. Are we seeding infla inflation for 2023 and 2024? We spent trillions during the pandemic. People say we needed to spend it. But that was part of the dollars chasing the, the supply chain closed economy that we had. So prices go up. They said stop spending. Stop spending right now. And even the Fed enables spending by keeping rates low. And they're sort of in cahoots with, with fiscal people. So since then, we've done three new things. We did the CHIPS Act. We did the... The Inflation Reduction Act, we're doing the student loan for a trillion. Are, are we now paving the way for, for higher prices in 2023 and 2024 when this filters through? I mean, if you're saying in some cases, do we have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake? Yes. We do. That's not smart, is it? Why isn't anyone talking about it? Look. And they say, well, these are worthy things. Well, you know, they're worthy, but 10% inflation is going to be front and center for people that they can't afford 10 percent of oh, which is worse right you go to that or you send, your, send send the economy into some kind of recession 
And, and it gets so deep that we start having to send out checks to everybody all over again, and then people will sit around and go, well, what do we just do? Well, let, let, let's, let, let's, you know, let's kind of be, be clear on this, that you know, fiscal spending, we've always thought of as targeted, while we've always thought of monetary policy, and we've always thought that, about that as across the board. Um, you know, what, what we saw was fiscal spending drive a huge change from services to um, goods right. during, during the response to the pandemic. And we're still recovering from that. I mean, that shift was huge, and it rippled through the labor market. Yeah, well, why is the participation rate so low? We've got plenty of people. In, in, Joe, one of the things that we thought about it in, in, in 2020, and look, you can, you, can, you can color me guilty because I was all for, you know, keeping people in their jobs, you know, keeping consumers in the economy. So, you know, if people ask me, I said go. Um, but one of the things that we did was we got people off the rolls. And when people are off the employment rolls, whether they're off the employment rolls for they a number of reasons, in, including, including, you know, COVID, Getting them back on the rolls takes more takes takes a lot. And takes incentive. Does, so how long does that stay ingrained in the? How systemic is that? Because the, you know, I, I think that's a huge question. When we look at the tight labor market, the question is, can you get the participation rate up? How do we do it? How much is that as a participation rate? How much is that as an integration story? Right, I and mean, that's the other piece of this. Well, how sure. much of it is bank accounts that have been more flush that and, are and, that we're running down? And you ask what the indicators people look at uh, to try and figure out where this is going. Bank accounts are now starting to run down, right. which I think is you know, a leading the, indicator. Yes. Right. Before we let you go, I uh, want to just uh, get another topic in here, which is that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi signaled on the floor uh, a vote possible later this month. I don't know if you saw this legislation that would restrict lawmakers from trading stocks uh, while in office. Madam Speaker, the stock trade ban legislation, it's uniquely had broad bipartisan support. Members have been working on this. Just because somebody introduces a bill doesn't mean it becomes the law of the land. Uh, th there's been um, discussion about it. And this uh, just recently, this morning, actually, the committee, we've been going back and forth and they were refining things and talking to members about what they think will work. And um, we believe we have a product that we can bring to the floor this month. Uh, the Washington Post weighed in yesterday. They wrote an editorial, uh, quote, saying the following, Congress tends to oversee others more zealously than it oversees itself, which is why a burgeoning effort to prevent lawmakers from conducting insider trading is as welcome as it is overdue. We've talked about this issue forever. Yep. I've talked about it, whether the SEC could do it, would it in, Would it keep their spouses from doing it? Because I don't think this is anything if you don't stop your spouses from doing it, too. Yeah. So this issue has been around a long time. And I'm going to go back to the Fed. The, the Fed had this issue come up. They did a deep study. They came out with their proposals, which are fairly rigorous. But I think they're quite instructive as to where Congress might go here. One of, one of the things embedded in the Fed, Fed policy is a delay between the time you order the trade and the time the trade is executed and the price you get. They have a 45-day delay. If you're worried about people market timing and using information, it's usually a very short term. Right. So if I have to put my you know, order in on January 1st to buy and it doesn't get executed until February 14th, um, the, the chances that I'm using information right. of the moment go way And down. we haven't seen it yet. So but, what about, but what about spouses? Because a lot of them, their spouses are trading very frequently. These are some of the biggest ones that come through, and they are beneficiaries of that. Too. So, so look, I, I think that... We have had spouses who've had jobs in the financial markets while people have been in government for a long time. One of the ways to deal with that is if, they have, if they're in a professional position, if they're in a regulated financial institution, 
there, there are controls that you can put in place to make sure that information isn't shared and, and checkings. Like, I'm, I'm less sympathetic for the person who is the, the spouse who's the sit-at-home day trader um, who has a, a spouse who has sensitive information. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a difference there. I, I just feel that way. Look, when I went into government, um, my, my spouse was working in the markets, uh, gave up her job because we, we thought that that was the right thing. But that's not the right thing for everybody. I mean, if you're SEC chair, you got you to gotta do things like that. What if you're the head of the defense committee or if you're the head of appropriations or something that's a highly sensitive? I think Congress, one of the things about Congress is it can be a two-year job. Are we going to make people turn their lives upside down? You know, spouses quit jobs for a job that may be a two-year job. And at the, now, I, I, I get it. If you have sensitive information, I think the 45-day the delay for members themselves is a good place to start. But, but, not, what, but what would you do for the rest of the family? Nothing? I, I, I think you can do it with an ethics officer who gives exceptions. I think that, look, if, if you're just trading for your own account and it's not part of your profession, I'm less sympathetic. You could, you could abide by the same rules. If you have a professional job, okay. You're Nancy Pelosi's husband. What do you do? Like I said, I, I, is, is he in a professional position or is that well, but, personal account? But here's the here's the conundrum. I imagine he would tell you this is what he does. This, you know, he manages money for the family, right? Now you could say that's his job, or you could say that he's uh, doing that as a either a hobby or. You know, this is why it's such a hard thing to to sort of decipher in terms of. Look, it's, you know, is he employed by Goldman Sachs? No, he's not employed by Goldman Sachs. But, you know, somebody who's quite wealthy might say, you know what I do for a living? I manage, I manage our family's, uh, you know, fund or, or foundation Look, or whatever no, it is. No, nothing is perfect. What I'm doing is putting something out there. If you can manage it, and it doesn't have to be a 45-day delay, delay. It could be longer. It could be shorter. Right. You, can, you can manage money. By the way, have money. we seen... You, our, can, you can manage money on is that Is anybody basis. at the Federal Reserve now buying or selling stock? Because I imagine the 45-day delay as a result. They have a, they have a window to... to uh... No, but I assume that people just say, I'm just not doing this at all, right? Which is what the goal, in a weird way, is. Actually, it's a very... If, if you look through it, it's a, it's a very well-thought-out process because you can do dividend reinvestments, you can do automatic things like that. Um, but what it really does is prevent any kind of market timing with respect to fixed-income instruments or, or, you know, with respect to purchasing of stocks. But Jay, let me just ask, I mean, following up on the Nancy Pelosi question, people were asking this because of her trip to Taiwan and the massive moves that that could have, the impact that could have on the semiconductor stocks. I mean, those are worthy areas that at least give the appearance of impropriety. Okay, we, have, we do have a couple of things here. We do have the ballot box as a check on all this and disclosure. That's, a, that's an important part of anything. We can improve the disclosure process here. We have the technology so that we can have Yeah, it's not easy to find the disclosures if you're just an interested the citizen. The disclosure is, is decades behind the capabilities. We can improve that easily. Transparency, okay, so, that, so that's one thing. Another thing is, look, these, these are jobs where it's very difficult to discern from day to day and in the future what the market impact might be. Let's, let's start with some improvement. And let's not get, let's not get people, um, let's, let's say this, let's not make you ineligible for Congress if you or your spouse have holdings in the market. We actually want people in government who understand business, but understand you can capital hold, allocation. You can have holdings that are broader holdings that are harder to manipulate rather than single stocks. 
not only can I not buy single stocks, no one in my family can. My children can't. I right. mean, that's no. We we we, we know. We we live with it, and we and, yeah. we, and we and we make do. Um, you know. The, but do I the, love it? No, no, but I get it. But people coming into Congress, are we going to make them incur capital gains? What, what you know? How are we going to deal with these issues? What Let's, if you're there 30 years? But I mean, if you're the head of a committee, you're not two years in. That 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 is true. That is true. I I do think delayed execution is a good place to start. Let's, let's, let's make it better. Let's not go for the perfect. Jay Clayton, appreciate it. Nice to see you, sir. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, China's close and complicated relationship with Russia and its impact around the globe. We welcome back a familiar face to CNBC. Michelle Cruz Cabrera. What? She is counsel. Oh, my God. Member, a CNBC I contributor. You look familiar. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. A top Russian security official said early Monday that it's a key policy goal of the Kremlin to beef up ties with China. The leaders of the two countries met last week on the sidelines of an economic conference in Uzbekistan. It was Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin's first in-person meeting since the Russian invasion of Ukraine earlier this year. Chinese state media described it as a productive meeting. China's President Xi said Beijing was ready to work with Russia. Vladimir Putin praised China's, quote, balanced approach to the Ukrainian crisis and expressed readiness to address any concerns. For more, we turned to an old friend of Squawk Box in a first appearance as a CNBC contributor. All right, joining us right now to talk about China, the recent Xi-Putin meeting and much more, we want to bring in Michelle Cruz Cabrera. What? She is counsel member, a CNBC contributor, and of course, a longtime, longtime colleague and friend. Michelle, it's great to see you. It's such a pleasure to see you all again. It's really an honor to sit here with you guys. On the squawk set. On the squawk set. Back in the studio. at, At this really pivotal time when... Interest rates are rising for the first time in right. 30 years. And you were here to talk China. Did you just did you just hear? I mean, I, I knew you were going to talk to them, but I mean, this is a how, what do we what this is you, you go ahead. But but this is like, a, what do we do? Uh, yeah, do we, it's, it's it's an extraordinary, extraordinarily difficult situation. And particularly the Xi Putin meeting going into this, there was this expectation that this was going to be a really dramatic show of force between the two and that turned out not to be the case. What we got was the message that there's actually some kind of uh, strain between the two because of the situation in Ukraine. I mean, Putin was apparently forced to say out loud, acknowledge that China has concerns about what's going on in Ukraine and will clarify uh, their position uh, through the meetings. That's good news for the U.S. markets because if there were a strengthening, if we were going to see China starting to support them militarily, thus far they have restrained from doing so, that would mean 
more sanctions. Um, but China clearly wants to preserve uh, market access, clearly still wants to be able to buy planes. And so they're making that choice. So, so that's good news. Let, let's back this up. Just, I mean, the reason we were, ha- were so concerned about this is because the meeting at the Beijing Olympics, when you saw yes. our leader, President Biden, stay home and not attend, you saw um, Putin go and this statement that came out afterwards about how basically they're the best of friends and there's no space between them. Yeah, that, that there, there was no limits to what they were going to do together, right? Well, we saw that apparently there are limits. So that's good. Um, because every time we see any kind of sanctions or denial of market access, like we saw with chips, for example, going to China, we do it in the name of national security, yet at the same time, it's very painful for companies that get cut out as a result. The other thing that was on the agenda for them yesterday, and that will continue, is energy. Um, China is looking for more sources of energy, and Russia is looking for more markets to deliver it to. So they're going to restart construction, it sounds like, on a pipeline through Mongolia uh, for natural gas. And the Russian uh, energy minister said this is going to replace Nord Stream 1. And the capacity of this pipeline is almost exactly the same as that of Nord Stream 1 that feeds into Europe and is causing the European energy is crisis. China, is she pretending that he has an issue with the atrocities that, that are occurring in Ukraine? Or does he have a problem with the economic dislocation that it's caused for China that's hurting their, their GDP? Because they've got... Their own house is not in order. Oh, in, in China. no, they've got a they've got a lot of issues. So what is the problem? What, what do you think? I well, bet, so uh, when I first heard that, I think you know the first immediate inclination is, oh, uh, they're upset with you know that the war is going poorly in Ukraine. Maybe it's that they're upset that that he did it at all. Um, we don't know. It was extreme, It was very cryptic, right? It was Putin said it. She didn't say anything. <laughs> you you almost Ukraine. hurt yourself. I, I, I overpronounced the T because the T, uh, Joe yeah. Kernan makes fun of my. No, with a D. It's a. I mean, it, it, look. If you look at it, they. China matters. It's the big economy here. Mm-hmm. Russia was trying to ride on the coattails on this. Yeah. And I think this is China saying, "You are causing problems." And we're not necessarily going to protect and defend every single thing you do. Yeah, this is historically an extremely tough relationship. They have never trusted each other. Another example, just this week they announced a new railroad running through Mongolia that's going to bring coal to the Chinese border. Mongolia was once controlled by Russia. The rail system built by Russia. Guess what happens when they get to the border? They have to unload all the coal and reload it over in China onto a different rail system at a cost of $3 per ton. Why? Because they have two different rail gauge sizes. Why? Because they were always concerned that the other would try to invade, that they would try to invade each other. Here in North America, we can run trains from Canada to Mexico, right? We're not worried about that interoperability being a threat to our national security. There, they were and they still are. The uh, one sports story that, that, that we talk about here is still live golf and it, it, I'm just harkening back to the, the doing business with Saudi Arabia uh, mm-hmm. at, at this point it's the world at the, you have to think about these things in the world right now and the reason I bring it up today Greg Norman the CEO of live golf wrote, wrote journal right and I, I, I said you know I'm gonna read this and see if the elephant in the room is mentioned no no not a word about whether it's blood money or 9-11 was just, you know, last Sunday. Not, not one word about that. It's all about competition. The guys are making more money. You know, there's no cuts. So can we, can we, do, can we live in a world where we just say, hey, 
the, the economic reality is we got to deal with Saudi Arabia, we got to deal with China, and they got to, you know, their own, we, we can't really expect them to have. I, I, think, I think it will upset some people to, to hear or to learn that um, what the U.S. framework will be about is about national security ultimately. For and, and, yes, our national security. Rather, decisions than, will be, rather than human rights. Rather issues. than human right. rights, yes. We would like to ha right. have influence well. there. But historically, it's been difficult, yep. um, and we have relationships. And it hasn't been working either. Right. Right. Not just difficult. <laughs> For 30 years, right. it hasn't been working. Right. We thought right. it would work, and it hasn't. The pipeline that they're building through Mongolia, how, mm -hmm. how long are, are we talking? Uh, Those things take years. Yeah, right? they do. Um, they, they've, been, they've been working on it for a while. Then construction stopped uh, when the Ukraine war started because of concerns about sanctions, the ability to get a product. 2030, if I recall correctly, not as far away as you might think. Um, it's, it doesn't immediately solve Russia's issue of where do they sell right. the excess natural gas that they right. have right now that they're not selling to And Europe. I can't imagine China would ever put itself in the same position that Germany did in terms of being solely reliant on that pipeline. Well, I, I think that's why you see um, Xi doing what he's doing, what some people call the Beijing straddle, which is, okay, we'd like to have more supply from various. So if he's thinking that someday I want Taiwan, right? Physically, we're going to go get right. it. He's got to have access to energy that comes from other places that would be, he'd be able to get if there's some kind of maritime blockade, for example, right? He's got to think about all What do you see things. the time he was there? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's, the, that's a huge question in national security circles right now, right? Is it, do they see weakness now? Um, and therefore, they want to go sooner, or so is it a longer they game? They got their own problem. But, oh. see, see the yuan. See the yuan. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's easier for them to do it in a couple of years. Once we once we figure out the this chip piece, if we if we can figure out the chip piece, semiconductors. Yeah. It makes the whole thing easier yeah. for us to walk away, yeah. and easier for them to actually do it. What, one final thought is, everything being the same. China is going to struggle to grow yep. dramatically. I mean, it's a different place. Right. And they need you know. to grow. They've got a lot of people that are That's counting right. on, right. mm -hmm. counting on uh, you know, their standard of living going on. All right, we'll see you. Uh, you're anchoring Power Lunch? I'm not you're, you're not You're not I'm a contributor. If I'm on once you a week, it'll be a change, lot. Okay. Things, I'll stay the same. So you, okay. Right. Michelle, thank you. When it's is Power Lunch? Always an honor and a pleasure. Michelle Caruso Cabrera. That is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the very best of our TV show, the smartest takes and most thoughtful interviews right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Now we are clear. Thanks, guys. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.